You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, guest preacher Mike Trammell examines the conversion story of Thomas and the picture of salvation that we find there. All righty, good morning, everybody. Uh, today, we have a privilege of having a guest speaker. Um, Mr. Mike Trammell um, is from the state convention. He's our church service coordinator, so he's kind of like a li- liaison between all the churches in the Western and Blue Ridge associations between those churches and the state convention. So he's here to, to help all churches in, in those areas. It's uh, one of his jobs. He's um, from Arkansas, spent some time in Texas. He pastored Mount Airy Baptist Church for 27 years. Um, I was wondering, I, I saw the bio about the Arkansas, if there's still a little bit of the accent left. And yes, it is. So that's, that's going to be cool because I, I just love a southern accent. It's pretty cool to to hear. But um, again, I, I invited Mike just to kind of get to know us and so that we can get to know him uh, a little bit as he's moved into this position here recently. Um, many of you have know uh, Randy Millwood. He was our church service coordinator for a while and he's now moved on to a different uh, section of the state. Um, so we're welcoming Mike. So let me welcome Mike uh, to the pulpit and um, let me pray for him before he, he starts and I'll, I'll turn over the service to him. Father, we uh, thank you, Lord, that you are our Savior. Father, thank you that we can sing the story of those songs that uh, Nate laid out for us, Father, that salvation only comes from you, Lord. And Father, I pray for Mike. I I thank you for this brother and his service as he serviced the church for 27 years, served them well, and now in um, not being done serving the Lord, uh, Father, Lord, he's now serving all these churches uh, to help us uh, just to to further your kingdom. And Father, we thank you for him. And Lord, I just pray, um, Lord, that the Spirit will move not only through him, but in our hearts today, so that we may be changed to look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Brother Pastor. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Joe. What a joy to be with you today. I want to bring greetings on behalf of our State Executive Director, Michael Crawford and the state staff, uh, our two state convention staff, um, and the 400 plus sister churches across our two state convention. We are so grateful for you, for your impact on the kingdom. Uh, What a blessing it is to see your church and to see all these beautiful young people, these children. What a glorious, glorious sight that is. And all the things that you guys are doing for the kingdom. And uh, Brother Joe told me a little, uh, but I know there's a lot more to learn. I look forward to that. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject um, that is foundational to who we are as followers of Christ. And uh, Brother Nate, thank you for that good music. It lifted up our Savior And it blessed our hearts. Thank you, brother. Look, if you will, with me this morning in the Word of God in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19 through verse 28. And the message this morning is entitled, A Changed Life. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came 
and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the door being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands. And reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. The dictionary defines the word change as making something different. Most change that occurs in our lives, we would say, is probably inconsequential. We wake up one morning and the, the cloud cover has changed, or we, we find ourselves in a grocery store and the price of a gallon of milk has changed. On and on we could go. Most of these changes are pretty inconsequential in the daily affairs of life. But the change that we just read about in this passage in the life of Thomas was literally life-altering. And so I want you to see with me this morning as we look at his life we look at the change that occurred in his life. I want you to see, first of all, the carnality of Thomas. In verses 19 through 22, note with me, first of all, the whereabouts of Thomas. Why was Thomas not present on that Easter Sunday night when Christ manifested himself to the disciples? The answer is his lack of faith. Alexander McLaren says, the specification in our text that Thomas was one of the 12 seems to suggest that the absence was regarded by the evangelist John as a dereliction of his apostolic duty. How many of you remember Where's Waldo, that little game we used to play? Well, that was a popular uh, game where you could look at a picture with hundreds of faces, and you'd have to look for that one little face. And it was difficult to find that one little face. Well, here is Thomas 
on that first Easter Sunday night, not present with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them. David Jeremiah said, it's impossible to live the Christian life in solitude. Yet it appears that's what Thomas was trying to do. Some folks think that they can worship God outside of the fellowship of a body of believers. Now, I pastored uh, for a long time. I pastored two churches in Arkansas before I came to Maryland in 1991. I was on two megachurch staffs before that. Pastored Mount Airy Baptist Church for 27 years. I've had on a number of occasions men, fellas, say to me, well, pastor, I can worship the Lord on a deer stand. Or I can worship the Lord in my bass boat when I'm out fishing on Sunday morning. And I guess there is an extent to which that might be true a little bit. But it's not the same as being in the assembly of the saints. It's not the same as being with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's something special about being with other believers. We are strengthened. We are edified. We are lifted up. We are encouraged in the faith by being with others like us. And so Thomas was not present on that first Easter Sunday night. And so I want you to see the witness that was spoken to Thomas. In verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. Now the verb here in the original language that's translated said in the English is what is known um, as an imperfect Tense, which means the disciples didn't tell Thomas just one time they had seen the Lord. How many of you, when something really great happens in your life, tell that story just once? We tell it to whoever will listen as many times as we can because it brought such happiness or joy, whatever the circumstance is, into our lives. And that was the case here. Thomas was literally being told that story of seeing the risen Christ over and over and over by all of these others in all likelihood. And so the witness that was spoken to Thomas, he says, it says the others therefore said, they all had opportunity and it seems like they took advantage of that opportunity to tell Thomas the story of seeing Jesus. But also, it says here, we have seen the Lord. Now, the word we is not insignificant. These were the ten most trustworthy men in the entire world. These were the ten disciples of Christ. They were believers. They were followers of Christ now. And so... For them to give such a testimony was a powerful validation of what they had seen. And then the word seen, it suggests eyewitness testimony. How many of you, um, 
I don't know what channel you watch for news, but um, there are a number of channels or networks. They, they use the moniker Eyewitness News. They place great credence in the fact that they're going to present news stories to you that have eyewitness testimonies. Well, here was this same kind of testimony to a far greater degree. The disciples, these ten trustworthy men said, we have seen Jesus resurrected with our own eyes. It's not something that someone told them about. It's something that they themselves physically saw. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, and that's what they're telling Thomas. We have seen the Lord. So the whereabouts of Thomas, the witness spoken to Thomas, but also the waywardness of Thomas. When we think about um, all that Thomas missed because he was not where he should have been. Have you ever missed church and something great happened, somebody got saved and you just wish, well, I wish I'd have been there to see that. Some of these blessings which Thomas missed, for example, he missed uh, the blessing of peace. Jesus had promised peace to all of his followers in chapter 14, verse 27. He failed to see the proof of the resurrection when Jesus appeared to the disciples that first time. And showed them his hands and his side. He missed the pleasure that they all derived from that. It says that they were glad that they saw Jesus. And the purpose, back in John 17, 18, when Jesus said to the Father, As I have sent, you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. That was their purpose. Those were their marching orders. Thomas missed that. Because he was not in church. He, we might say in our day, he skipped church that day. And finally, he missed the power. Verse 23 talks about the power of God that's availed to those who are in Christ. Thomas missed that. But the waywardness of Thomas. Thomas bows his neck, so to speak. After hearing the testimony of these ten men over and over again and all the things they shared about how wonderful it was to see Jesus resurrected, Thomas says, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now the word not believe here is, again, in the original language, what's known as a double negative. Thomas is, in essence, saying, no way I will ever believe. I will not believe under any circumstances, Thomas is saying. He was very dogmatic in his unbelief. Stubbornness. John MacArthur calls Thomas the eternal pessimist, a melancholy person. Standing again before him were ten men who had seen the Lord and testified in agreement about what they had seen. Yet Thomas ignored their witnesses. But I want you to see secondly this morning 
the confrontation with Thomas. In verses 26 and 27, eight days later, we come to this second major event. And notice the goodness of God in coming to Thomas. Thomas had, if you will, shaken his fist in the face of God and refused to believe in the resurrection of Christ unless the Lord met some specific demands that he was laying out. But I want you to see the goodness of God in coming to Thomas. After eight days again, the disciples were within. They were in that upper room. The door was shut for fear of the Jews. They gathered together again on a Sunday night and stood in the midst and said, Jesus said, peace be unto you, verse 26. Notice that phrase. Then came Jesus. Thomas was still in his unbelief. And the text says, then came Jesus. Dear friend, I want to ask you this morning, has there been a then came Jesus event in your life? That ought to be a part of your testimony about how Christ came into your life, how Jesus came and brought leanness to your soul, brought conviction to your heart, and showed you your need of a Savior. Then came Jesus. All of us in our personal testimonies ought to be able to give such an account of when Jesus came into our hearts and into our lives. The doors being shut, and Jesus stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. The word peace here that Jesus offers them and, and, and extends to them, no doubt for many, it would have been a fearful thing to see what some might have called a ghost. But Jesus is clearly saying to them, I'm not a ghost. I'm alive. Then came Jesus. Elmer Towns points out, in fairness to Thomas, that among all the other disciples, John was the only one that appears to have believed in the resurrection at this point in time. But then he said to Thomas, the compassion of Christ, as Leon Morris says for this hard-headed disciple. Thomas was stubborn. He was resolute in his unbelief. He refused to believe. And then came Jesus, who loved him in spite of his unbelief who loved him in spite of all that he had done in his life in disobedience to Christ. That's one of the things I, I loved about Brother Nate's music this morning. We sung or we sang about the, the grace of God. Dear friend, the grace of God. Thomas was extended grace when he didn't deserve it. God's riches at Christ's expense brought into the life of Thomas when he didn't deserve it, and you as well, and me as well. 
Then he said to Thomas, we're told. It's evident that the primary purpose of this visit was to bring Thomas into the faith, into the fold of believers. Thomas was the neediest man in the room. Thomas was the only man in the room that night who was not yet a believer, who had not yet trusted Christ. And Jesus was so full of love for Thomas that he came into that room when Thomas was there. Thomas missed the first get-together there in the upper room, and now eight days later when Thomas is with them, Jesus comes again, this time when Thomas is present. Again, an act of grace on the part of our Lord. But I want you to see the giving to Thomas of what was needed to believe in verse 27. Jesus says to Thomas, reach hither thy finger. Do you remember what Thomas said after he heard about the first visit when he was not there? They told Thomas about seeing the nail prints in the hands of Jesus and seeing the place in his side where the sword had been thrust. And Thomas' remarks were, unless I see the nail prints, unless I, with my own finger, touch the nail prints in his hand, unless I, with my own hand, touch the place on his side where the sword was thrust, I will not believe. And so here is Jesus on this second Sunday night. Eight days have passed. Now, Jesus comes, and in goodness to Thomas, he reaches out and he, he says, Thomas, reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. You see, Jesus knew exactly what Thomas had said because Jesus is God. Adrian Rogers ordained me in 1981. And I sat under his preaching for several years while I was in seminary. And many times I heard Dr. Rogers say, he's as much God as though he were not man at all, as much man as though he were not God at all. He is uniquely the God-man. And so it was. Thomas had said he would not believe except he puts his hand in the place of the nails and puts his finger in the place of the nails and thrusts his hand into his side. This condescension to Thomas's stipulation shares with us two important truths. First of all, the humility of Christ to save. Dear friend, Jesus left heaven, left the throne of heaven. To take upon himself human flesh. Dr. Roy Beeman, one of my seminary professors, who taught preachers for 40 years at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and then in his retirement years came at Mid-America Seminary and taught us. He used to talk about how Jesus had left all of heaven behind. 
He laid aside for a season the voluntary exercising the prerogatives of deity. He didn't cease to be God. He just ceased to exercise the prerogatives of deity for a season. The humility of Christ to save. Dear friend, that same Jesus who left heaven and came and took upon himself the constraints of human flesh and lived in the presence of sin ultimately to go to a cross and suffer and bleed and die for Thomas did the same for you. He gave his life for you as well. So it shows the humility of Christ to save, but also the help for man to believe. Think of all the things that Jesus has done in your life to help you believe. Some of you have, for example, had the influence of a godly parent or a godly home. Some of you might say, I have a godly husband, a godly wife. Some might say, I had a godly grandmother. Other things. Maybe you had an opportunity to be brought to church when you were a young person. Jesus did all of that. God did all of that to bring you ultimately to your faith in him. He helped you get to that point of believing. He did that with Thomas. The gracious offer extended to Thomas. Up until this point, dear friends, Thomas was unbelieving. Thomas was faithless. John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus said, Thomas, be not faithless. You see, at this point, up until this point, Thomas was an unbeliever. Thomas had not been saved because he had not believed that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God who was raised from the dead, who came to save sinners. He had not put his trust and faith once and for all, now and forever, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we see this gracious offer extended to Thomas. Thomas, be not faithless, but believing. Thomas's lack of faith was condemned by Christ. Dear friend, believing is a command. It's commanded for all of us in Scripture. Unbelief is disobedience to God. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, we're told, God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so while Thomas was refusing to believe, he was living in sin. He needed to repent. And so in spite of his sin, the Lord Jesus extends this gracious offer to Thomas. All men everywhere need to repent. You, 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 and you, and me. All men everywhere need to repent and be saved. But I want you to see thirdly this morning, the conversion of Thomas. Verses 28 and 29. I want you to see first of all, as we examine how Thomas came to faith, 
as we examine the transition, the great change that occurred in his life. I want you to see, first of all, it was a personal profession. And Thomas answered after this gracious offer of faith from Jesus and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now, dear friend, many scholars have said this is the high point in John's gospel. Thomas's declaration of faith is so rich. It says so much to us. I want to mine a little bit of the gold that's here for us this morning. Thomas, you see, was transformed in that moment into a worshiper. My Lord and my God. Such powerful powerful words, such a magnificent testimony. The personal pronoun my here emphasizes the personalness of Thomas's confession about Christ. He was not parroting someone else's words of belief. Thomas was speaking on a personal basis. He was saying, Jesus is my Lord and my God. And dear friend, you will never make it to heaven by parroting someone else's testimony. You have to give your heart and life to Christ. Like Thomas, you have to say, Jesus is my Lord and my God, and I surrender to his lordship in my life. Such a powerful, powerful testimony. But his conversion was personal. But it was also public. Thomas made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ before the disciples. It was not a profession made in private. It was not a profession made in secret. He made it in public. People now knew where Thomas stood. And dear friend, unless your profession of faith is made in public, it's not worth much. You and I are called to publicly acknowledge Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33 says, Whosoever shall confess me, Jesus is speaking here, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever denies me before men, him will I also confess, or him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We see Again, it was a public profession. Dear friend, there has to be this moment in your life when you make a public acknowledgement of your faith. Have you done that? Have you made a public profession of your faith? Have you told the world, in essence, about how you have been changed but thirdly, it was a proper profession. In verse 28, he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas gives at least three great doctrinal truths here that we need to see. First of all, as John Butler points out, he proclaimed 
the resurrection of Christ, acknowledging the presence of Christ by his confession. Thomas indirectly attested to the fact of the resurrection. Prior to this, Thomas had said, I will not believe unless I see it with my own eyes. Well, now Thomas is saying, my Lord and my God. He's attesting to the fact that Jesus had indeed been resurrected. He was now transitioning, changing, if you will, by the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God, from being faithless to faithful. So he proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. He's now a firm believer in the resurrection of Christ. All the arguing is over. He's no longer a skeptic. You know, people say they call him Doubting Thomas. That's really not an accurate description of Thomas. Thomas's great problem was not his skepticism. Thomas's greatest problem was his lack of belief, his lack of faith. And dear friend, such is the case for all of us before we come to Christ. Our greatest problem, our greatest need is to be saved. Trusting Jesus and him alone, once and for all, now and forever. To come into our hearts and lives, to wash us white as snow. To give us a home in heaven. To separate us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. To cast our sins into the depths of the sea and remember them no more. To write our names in the Lamb's book of life. But also he proclaimed the lordship of Christ. Thomas said, my Lord. He acknowledges not only that Christ had risen from the grave. He goes further and acknowledges that Christ is his Lord, is his sovereign. He who a little while ago was trying to lay down conditions for God to meet in order to believe Thomas has now become submissive to Christ. No longer does Thomas wish to rule supreme in his own life. In Jesus, he now recognizes that Jesus is the sovereign of the universe. But not only did he proclaim the resurrection of Christ, the lordship of Christ, but he proclaimed the deity of Christ. Thomas said, my God. This statement about the deity of Christ is one of the greatest, clearest acknowledgments, professions, if you will, of the deity of Christ in all of the scriptures. The truthfulness of the proclamation is found in the fact that Christ, get this, dear friends, Christ did not rebuke Thomas for having referred to him as my God. When Cornelius fell down at Peter's feet and would have worshipped him, Peter refused such an honor and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. When the people at Lystra wanted to treat Paul and Barnabas as gods, Paul and Barnabas protested and said, We are men of like passions with you. 
When John fell to worship the angel, the angel said to John, See that thou not do it. But when Thomas called Jesus God, there was no protest from Christ. His silence in response acknowledged the truthfulness of Thomas's declaration. And dear friend, understand the doctrine of the divinity of Christ is one of the great foundation truths of Christianity. J.C. Ryle said, let us be willing to go to the stake rather than let the doctrine, the deity of Christ go. Unless our Lord Jesus is very God of very God, there is an end to his mediation, to his atonement, to his advocacy, to his priesthood to his whole work of redemption. These glorious doctrines are useless blasphemies unless Christ is divine. And dear friend, he is. Amen, he is. How do we know that Thomas's conversion was real? Well, that, from that time on, Thomas in his life was an evangelist for Christ. Tradition tells us, and it's recorded in Fox's Book of Martyrs, that after the ascension, when the apostles went out proclaiming the gospel, Thomas ministered the gospel in India, among other places, because his ministry so enraged the pagan priests, he was martyred there by being thrust through with a sword. You see, Thomas experienced a change in his life. He went from being faithless to faithful. And I want to conclude by asking you this morning, have you had this kind of change in your life? Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.